All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church. Um, glad that you are here with us this morning. This morning, we're going to be finishing our time in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we've been in the Minor Prophets for uh, a while now as a church, and um, we've been in Habakkuk over the last couple of weeks. And so, like I said, we'll be finishing out Habakkuk this week and moving on uh, to another Minor Prophet next week. Um, but as we get started this morning... Um, let me read from God's Word, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, and then I'll pray for us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the, pro- the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for the new ways that you've allowed us to, to look to you as we move through this book of Habakkuk. God, thank you for the reminder that you are at work even when we don't know it and God even when we come to you with prayers that are questioning God you still listen you still lift us up to see better and to know you more deeply and God this morning as we finish out chapter three as we Look at the verses we just read, plus a few others. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would draw us close to you. God, that we would hear your words this morning. I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, that Christ would be glorified and lifted high in this place. God, I pray that you would change us because of your great love and mercy. And Holy Father, we ask this in the name of your Son our Savior. Amen. If there's one thing that I know, it is the two shades of hope. One, the enlightening soul, and the other is more like a hangman's rope. Well, it's true you may reap what you sow, but not that despair is the all-time low. Baby, hope deals the hardest blows. That's the opening lines to one of my favorite songs. It's a song called The Two Shades of Hope by a musician named Foy Vance. And uh, I really like that song. But the reason I really like that song is I really love sad songs. And uh, I'm a cynic at heart. And uh, that song is all about hopes never being realized. So it's right up my alley. It's natural for me to think that in most situations... I shouldn't get my hopes up. That if I'm just able to manage my expectations, then there's no way that I can be disappointed through my hope. Right? Because there's no bigger punch in the gut than hoping in something or someone and then ultimately being disappointed. At least that's how I feel. I don't know if you've read the Hunger Games books or seen the movies. I've only seen the movies. But there's this one particular movie where Katniss, who's the protagonist of the story, is, uh, she's become the face of the revolution against this evil state. 
and the president uh, of the evil state, when he's talking about the hope that Katniss is inspiring in all the people, the hope for change and freedom, the hope that he wants crushed, he says something like this, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. And on the flip side of that, having a hope that is unrealized is really kind of devastating. And that's why songs like this exist, songs that tell us that hope deals the hardest blows. As we've already seen over the last couple of weeks, the book of Habakkuk begins with the author looking for some hope. He's asking questions of God that we probably all ask of God at some time, but maybe we're not willing to admit that we do so. He's he's asking questions like, God, where are you in the midst of all this? Why are these things happening? Isn't that what Habakkuk is really asking when he says this at the beginning of the book? Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? Or maybe we ask God questions like this. God, why is life so unfair? Why are you unfair to me? If you're good like you say you are, then why are you letting these things happen? Isn't that what Habakkuk really says when he says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Do you ever dare to admit that you feel that way? That you feel like that? Like God seems to be sitting idly by while you suffer, while the people around you suffer. And, and maybe that's what really causes you trouble. It's the suffering of other people at the hands of those who are evil that make you question God's goodness. That make you question whether or not God is even paying attention. Habakkuk's questions here that he's asking at the beginning of Habakkuk are the same questions we still ask today. And I think by the very fact that we find them in Scripture, they really are an age-old problem. The world often doesn't seem like it's being ruled by a good, all-wise, and all-powerful God. Right? If God really is all-powerful, He could stop all the evil. And if He really was loving... He would want to stop it all. So the fact that pain and suffering and injustice run rampant on the earth must mean that that either God is not all-powerful or God is not good. That's what modern philosophy calls the problem of evil. But it's probably what we all feel at one point or another just because we live in a fallen world where the effects of sin still run rampant. I'm not going to solve that problem for you this morning. People have been fighting about that problem for thousands of years now. But I do want us to see the change that happens to the prophet Habakkuk that allows him to deal with these sorts of questions. The questions of, God, where are you? God, why aren't you intervening? God, why is life so unfair? 
Why does it have to go this way? Why does it have to be that way? There's something that happens in the book of Habakkuk, I believe, where Habakkuk moves from those questions to another place entirely. And I think overall that very well might just be the point of what we need to see in the book of Habakkuk. I don't think Habakkuk ever really got the answers to the questions he was asking. God certainly responded. God certainly says something to Habakkuk when he asks the questions and when he asks them again. But he answers Habakkuk's questions in a different way. Or maybe what God is actually doing is answering a different question than what Habakkuk is answering, is asking. That like I said, I think there's something for us to see here because the shape of Habakkuk's book is supposed to teach us something. And it shows us what the internal growth, the internal path towards growth and hope and faith looks like. Several portions of the Old Testament are like this, right? Several portions of the Old Testament are like that, where, where rather than simply telling us something, rather than just simply telling us what God says or instructing us in a certain way, the writers open up their hearts and let us learn from their faith struggle. You see this throughout the book of Psalms. Over and over. You see it in the book of Job. You see it in the book of Jonah, which is where we started when we started going through the minor prophets. Habakkuk's book is at times uncomfortably candid about that struggle to find hope and faith. But God seems to be okay with it. And I think we can learn from Habakkuk's questioning that God is okay with our struggles, with our questions. Because when Habakkuk questioned God, God didn't get mad at him. Instead, God gave Habakkuk more of himself. Maybe he didn't give him the answers he was looking for, but he did give Habakkuk more of himself. Ben framed it like a father putting a child on his shoulders at a parade so that the child could see better. God seems to welcome Habakkuk's questions here. And it very well might be that doubt becomes one of God's tools to drive Habakkuk and to drive you and I further into hope and faith. I think we as people get into trouble when we learn to trust our doubts more than we learn to trust our Savior. But faith that hasn't been tested with doubt is shallow and fragile. And what we see in the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk's faith becomes something more than fragile by the time he finishes out in Habakkuk chapter 3. Alan Gardner was an English missionary to Africa and South America back in the 1800s. And uh, eventually he was shipwrecked on a remote island off the coast of South America. And he and the group of people that he was with tried to stick it out. They tried to wait for somebody to come and rescue them. But nobody came in time. And so they finally died of starvation on this island. Several months later when the rescuers finally found them, they discovered the body of Gardner with his personal journal underneath him the last thing inscribed in his journal was this from psalm 34 10 those that seek the lord lack no good thing 
Underneath that verse was this final phrase, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. How can a person that is starving to death, stranded on a remote island, be overwhelmed with the goodness of God? It doesn't seem to make sense. And yet, that's exactly where Habakkuk lands at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3 in those verses that I read just a minute ago. He talks about the fig tree, the grapes, the olives, the sheep, the oxen, the wheat, all being gone, the agricultural life being ruined. Despite all of that might happen, Habakkuk is still hoping in God. Let's read it again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The book of Habakkuk begins with the prophet questioning God's presence, questioning God's goodness, questioning God's intervention, questioning why these things are happening and why God isn't doing something about it. And it ends with Habakkuk declaring God's goodness. He goes from doubt to faith, and he goes from despair to hope. Right, here's what I see in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk never gets the answers he wants, and God never feels the need to explain himself. Instead, God reveals his power and his presence at work in the world. And after God lifts Habakkuk up to help him see better, I think that Habakkuk is humbled by the sight of God's powerful presence and God's nearness. And he chooses to be satisfied without answers, as though his questions were replaced by an awareness of God's strength and presence. His doubt becomes faith, and his despair becomes hope. In August of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered what is perhaps his most well-known speech during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And even though I cannot even begin to do these words justice, let me read to you part of what he said. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. 
I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountains of despair a stone of hope. Dr. King had a different purpose for stating those words. A purpose that is not yet fully realized, but a purpose that was deeply rooted in Scripture as he even quotes from Isaiah 40 in that speech right there that I read from. Dr. King had a different purpose. But that's exactly what happens for Habakkuk in this book. A mountain of despair turns into a stone of hope. Ben told us last week how the central point of Habakkuk is that the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk says that in chapter 2. And when Habakkuk says at the end of chapter 3 that regardless of how bad the circumstances get, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When Habakkuk says that, he shows us what the just shall live by his faith means. And he intends us to see that what that means is banking your hope on God no matter what. Because of God's goodness. Let's look at how he gets there. Let's go back and read the first 16 verses of chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 through 16. Starts this way. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigioneth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of its warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. 
You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. A rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. What Habakkuk does here, even though it may not be apparent at first, is to recount the story of the Exodus. Habakkuk is recounting God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. That's the Old Testament's ultimate picture of salvation, and it's a picture of salvation that ultimately points to what Jesus does. But in this passage that I just read, it says things like this, His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from His hand. That's a reference to perhaps the cloud and the pillar of fire that went with God's people through the desert, or maybe a reference to what happens at Mount Sinai while they're in the desert. It says, Before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heel, a a picture of the plagues that God brought on Egypt. It says, The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hands on high. Right, The splitting of the waters so that God's people could pass through. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the flesh of your glittering spear. That's a reference to the sun standing still in the book of Joshua as Joshua is taking the people in to the promised land. And verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Talking about how God brought Egypt to its knees. In these verses, what Habakkuk does is remember God's past salvation and goodness. He remembers God's power. He remembers God's love for His people. He remembers the fact that God went out and fought for His people. He remembers the fact that God did not abandon them forever in Egypt. He remembers that God showed up and God fought for His people. He remembers God's salvation. And after meditating on these things, Habakkuk says this in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk's circumstances hadn't changed. Israel was still going to be invaded by the Babylonians. Habakkuk doesn't feel awesome about this. It says that his body trembles in the Hebrew. It's literally his bowels. His lips were quivering. His legs were trembling. He felt as if his whole being, his whole body was rotten. He was consumed by grief. He dreads the coming trouble, the invasion, the depression deprivation, the death that's sure to come. But he says that he will quietly wait. I think part of what Habakkuk is doing here is that he's choosing to embrace the goodness of God despite the circumstances. He's choosing this. He's choosing to embrace hope. 
Instead of hoping that circumstances will change, he is simply hoping in the goodness of God and hoping in who God is. I think that's why he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. When Habakkuk declares that God the Lord is my strength, he makes me tread on my high places, maybe he is saying that he trusts God to bring him to the place of safety and closeness with him. Right, High places are safe places, and they usually symbolize communing with God. So maybe, maybe that's what Habakkuk means. But maybe, I wonder... If Habakkuk is also saying that the Lord lifts him out of these questions and worries to a higher plane of hope and faith. Habakkuk started out by questioning why God isn't intervening. And then when God tells him how he is at work, he questions God's plan to use people who seem to be the antithesis of who God is, which just didn't seem fair. And yet, God's response is not to explain himself to Habakkuk, but to let Habakkuk see things in a different way. The Lord's intent for his people to be saved has not changed. The Lord is still mighty to save. But who God is becomes more important for Habakkuk than why he does things the way he does them. And that's a difficult place to get to. And I recognize that because we want to know the why. God, why is this happening? Why is my family falling apart? Why is my relationship falling apart? Why did my loved ones die? God, why can I not have children? God, why did I have to suffer that abuse? Why are the systems and structures of this world set against me? Why aren't you intervening? Why is there death and injustice everywhere I turn? The why question is a tough question. But in this book, the questions of why and what and how could you don't really get answered. But another question does get answered. It's the question of where do I turn for hope? Where do I find hope? Randy Alcorn wrote this, Sometimes we make the foolish assumption that our Heavenly Father has no right to insist that we trust Him unless He makes His infinite wisdom completely understandable to us. What we call the problem of evil is often the problem of our finite and fallen understanding. It was the hardest lesson I've ever had to learn. In our times of suffering, God doesn't give answers as much as He gives himself did you hear that last phrase God doesn't give answers as much as he gives himself that's the place that Habakkuk got to 
The third chapter of Habakkuk is Habakkuk coming to grips with the power of God, with the strength of God, with the presence of God, with the salvation of God. Chapter 1, Habakkuk wanted God to do something about the circumstances around him. And there was nothing wrong with Habakkuk wanting that to happen. But at the end of chapter 3, Habakkuk accepts the circumstances and is rejoicing in the God of his salvation rather than in the outcome of his requests. I am sure that Habakkuk still wanted to see justice around him. I am sure that Habakkuk still wanted the oppressors to be taken down. I am sure that Habakkuk still wanted the oppressed to be lifted up. But at the end of Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk is simply hoping in the goodness of God. Verses 18 and 19, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In Habakkuk's song of praise, it's not that God will give him joy. It's that God is his joy. It's not that God will give him salvation. It's that God is his salvation. It's not that God will give him strength. It's that God is his strength. The answer to the question of whom shall I hope in has become clear for Habakkuk. We have even more reason for confidence than Habakkuk did because ultimately the exodus was just a pointer and a picture to what Jesus would do for God's people, what Jesus has done for God's people. Habakkuk remembered what God had done in the exodus and it changed him. And Jesus teaches us in the New Testament that the Exodus was simply a pointer to what Christ himself would do. What Moses did only partially, Jesus accomplished fully. Right? Moses merely risked his life to liberate Israel from bondage, but Jesus gave his life to liberate you and I from Satan's sin and death. Moses only slew a lamb to spread its blood over the doorposts of Israel's houses in Egypt. But Jesus himself was the lamb that was slain so that his blood could cover you and I. Moses established a system where priests represented people before God, but Jesus himself is our high priest, standing continually in God's presence on our behalf. Habakkuk found hope in the God of Israel. And on this side of the cross, Jesus offers us that very same hope. And the call for us this morning is to see and find that very same hope in Jesus. Not in the outcome of the circumstances around us, but in Jesus. Our hope is simply in our Savior. Our hope is simply in the goodness of God. And that God really is who He says He is. That God will really do what He said He can do. Our hope is in a God that we can trust. A God that is our strength. A God that is our salvation a God that is our joy. We're going to enter into a time of response like we do every Sunday. It's a time for us to maybe ponder the things that God has spoken to our hearts and minds this morning, to sit where we are and reflect and pray, to grab somebody and pray if we need to. It's an opportunity to worship by singing. The band will come 
and uh, lead us in some more songs and give us an opportunity to respond in that way. It's an opportunity for us to continue worship by giving. There's a giving basket in the back if you're a part of Redemption Church. But it's also a chance for us to take communion together and in doing so, remembering what Christ has done for us and proclaiming that we believe it. Uh, You can come down either one of these side aisles, tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, and so remember the body of Christ that was given for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. In doing so, like I said, uh, remembering the gospel, remembering the truth of what Christ has done and proclaiming to one another that we believe it. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of Redemption or not, we invite you to come and take communion to remember together, to proclaim together the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for this book of Habakkuk. God, despite how difficult it might be to read through this book, to grasp it, to struggle with it, to wrestle with it, God, thank you for what you have for us here. Thank you for this reminder that you are our hope. God, that life is hard, and we know it is. But God, even in the midst of our struggles, you are still good, and you are still our hope. God, I pray over the next few minutes as we continue to worship, as we respond to what you might be doing in our hearts and minds this morning, I pray that Jesus would continue to be lifted high in this place, that we would be drawn to Christ and Christ alone. God, I ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.